Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Chase. This is your new Comics Wednesday episode for November 2nd, 2022. Got about three books, not three books, got about 14 books uh, I'm going to talk about today. Uh, pretty solid week. Uh, just a reminder, if you want to hear about the DC books, that's on the DC Spotlight that comes out on Tuesdays. There are spoilers there. Rocky from Comic Boom and I dive deep into the plot and the story threads and the story beats. So if you're looking for DC books, go check those out. I uh, especially loved sort of Azrael this last week uh, or yesterday, I should say. Rocky gave his DC favorite DC book of the week to uh, Dark Knights of Steel 8. And also the second issue of Gotham Year One was also real good. So again, if you're looking for those books, go listen to yesterday's episode uh, as the a new Comics Wednesday episode usually is. This is going to be spoiler-free, so I'll try to just talk about my feelings for the books and give you an idea of kind of what they're about without spoiling anything specific. So let's get started. We have a new number one from Marvel, one of several. It's Tiger Division number one. It's written by Emily Kim. The art is by Cress Lee. Colors are by Yin Nitro, and letters are by Ariana Mare. Uh, if you're not familiar with Tiger Division, this is basically the South Korean um, superhero group that showed up a, a couple of years ago, and all the characters are South Korean. Uh, you know, if robots can be South Korean, I guess. Um, I, I probably am going to butcher the names if I try to pronounce them, but I'll give it my best. Taiguki, Taiguchi uh, is kind of the the hero of the team, the leader of the team, if you will. I mean, uh, they are directed by the National Intelligence Service of South Korea. That director is Amy Han, otherwise known as the White Fox, but she's not really a field agent. She just kind of sends them on their way. She's kind of South Korea's Nick Fury, if you will. Uh, oh, excuse me. Uh, but anyway, Tai is, uh, is the leader. And there are uh, a few other characters that are uh, very powerful as well. This isn't the first appearance of any of them, so don't go in thinking uh, that that is the case. But the other members of the team are Lady Bright, who's described as a card-wielding sorcerer, Mr. Enigma, who's a street-brawling demigod, the General, who's a living totem, Gun R2, who's a fast-talking robot, and Luna Snow, who's a chirokinetic pop star. If you don't know what chirokinesis is, that's the ability to control ice, like Iceman. So... Uh, yeah, I don't know a whole heck of a lot about these characters um, or the the Tiger Division in and of itself. They've shown up here and there. Uh, I know there was, a, I think, a Death of Doctor Strange White Fox special. Uh, but I have to say that this is very new reader friendly. There's um, uh, exposition boxes that introduce everybody. The dialogue is really easy to follow. And we learn about a secret that Ty is keeping, which seems to be sort of interesting. We get a little bit of his back history. So um, it's a pleasant start. Don't know where it's going to lead. Certainly has a Marvel feel. It reminds me a little bit of Alpha Flight in that way. You know, that, those were, uh, that was a Canadian superhero team. This is obviously Asian. Um, and hopefully it'll appeal to uh, to Asian readers, but it has that same sort of feel of uh, each of the heroes having a distinctive personality. And I think the interplay between the characters is where this book might really, really shine. Plus, they have cool abilities and the art is gorgeous to look at, as are the colors. So uh, I give a lot of credit to the art team of uh, of Chris Lee. And I think that's how you say it. Chris or Cress? C-R-E-E-E-S. Uh, and Yen Nitro on the colors, they both do a, a fantastic job. So again, it, it's a new number one, but it's not first appearances. So I don't know if that matters to you speculators, but there are several covers and they're all pretty solid. There's a um, an art germ cover that's uh, that's really great. I think that's the one I picked up. So anyway, if you're so inclined, new number one from Marvel Tiger Division. Uh, next up from image, we have Go golden rage. Number four, this is from a writer, Chrissy Williams. The art is by Lauren Knight. Sophie Dodgson does the colors. Shane, Hannah, see you on flats, Becca Carey on letters. This is basically a world where once women are no longer fertile, no longer able to reproduce, they're sent out, they're abandoned. They're sent out to this Island. And so far we've been, 
getting a look at the island and how the women there have behaved. And it's sort of interesting, right? Like Lord of the Flies, if any of you have ever read that classic book by William Golding, you know, juveniles didn't really know how to behave, didn't have life experience, weren't mature. And they sort of, I don't want to say devolved, but they acted like savages. Um, it wasn't a, they weren't civilized. It wasn't a civilization that they established when their plane crashed on, um, on a, a deserted island. But these are women who have been mothers, who are mature, who are older in age. And so you would think that they would establish a civilization. And while I would say they've established a society, a semi-functional society, there's a lot of savagery going on. And so I do find that interesting. Uh, and again, it's all women. There's no men. But it seems that the outside world will get some clues and some hints in this issue that the outside world might not be doing as well as you might think. And the newest member of the island, the one that, that has come uh, come to the island most lately, and she's a lot younger than a lot of the other women on the island. She, um, she entered menopause early. Uh, her name is Jay. Uh, and something was revealed about her last issue. And it's, I don't want to say it's a bait and switch, but it, it doesn't turn out to be exactly what you might think it is. Um, but she has some other information to share with the other Islanders. And it, it kind of sets up what might be coming. Um, so th- I, I'm not still not sure. It's four issues into this series, and I'm still not sure what to make of it. But again, I might not be the target audience. I've talked about this before with this book, being that it is all female characters. It's talking about female relationships. It's talking about female biology. I don't know. Maybe it's a, it's a female <laughs> creative team. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's not for me. Um, but I, I'm enjoying it. I'm I'm interested in seeing the dynamics between these women. Uh, I find it to be interesting. Maybe because I'm not a woman. I'm not. I'm not sure. I haven't heard too many other reviewers talking about it. So not really sure what audience it's uh, it's capturing. But um, but I am intrigued. Four issues in. Uh, all right, I'm going to save that one for later. Uh, all right, up next, we have Hulk number 10, Hulk Planet Part 2. This is from writer Donnie Cates and Ryan Otley. Cliff Rathburn does the inks. Sonia Obak and Marte Garcia on the colors. Corey Petit on letters. My biggest complaint about the Hulk is it doesn't seem to come out on time. Like I, I barely remember when issue nine came out, and it was a big um, break during that banner war event, which, you know, you know, shame on me for even entertaining one iota of thought about what Donnie Kate said. We'd finally find out who's stronger Hulk or Thor. Uh, You know, if I stop to think about it for even a split second, no, Marvel's never going to say who, you know, who's stronger in a particular story. Well, whoever the writer needs to be stronger for that story. Um, But it, it, Here's the thing, like I, I talked about it when they got this creative team got announced I, that I wasn't really excited about it, especially when it was some Starship Hulk craziness. Um, and I sort of had some hope, even though I wasn't looking forward to it. I sort of had some hope after the first issue because the ideas were big and interesting, even if it wasn't you know my preference. Right. I've talked a lot about wanting to get back to a more super heroic feeling Hulk. It's been a long, long time since we've got something like that. Um, and I'm just ready for a return to that. I'm sort of sick of the the Hulk as this unbeatable, immortal menace, if you will. I mean, I, th- I think it's basically been since before Civil War II that we've had, and maybe even before that, maybe even bef- you know, before Jerry Duggan's run on the Omega Hulk. But anyway, um, I'm ready for a more traditionally superheroic Hulk. And this clearly is not that, um, but it's been entertaining enough and I've been picking it up, but it, it's really hard to win me over if it's coming out so sporadically. So that in my mind is, is the biggest thing. Like it's hard for me to even remember how the comic makes me feel when I read it or, you know, what kind of context or what's going on. So I mean, it shouldn't, you, you can't make it this hard for me, Marvel. Uh, you can't. Uh, and I don't know if it's Donnie. I don't know if it's Ryan Otley. I don't know why this book is con- continually late, but he's, uh, Donnie and uh, Ryan have been on this book for well over a year, and we don't even have a year's worth of issues. We only have 10 issues out at this point. So th- this book is just, 
failing in my mind. So this whole idea of a planet Hulk where everybody that lives on the planet is a Hulk. Again, it's an interesting idea, but the aesthetic of the execution isn't my favorite. And, and that is what goes back to kind of a personal preference, right? Like I'm, I'm not the biggest Ryan Otley fan. Um, I think his art was great on invincible. Um, but it, I, I kind of only see it on that sort of style of art, not, not on this. I don't know. It doesn't quite work for me. He's, he's a strong visual storyteller, but I don't know. Sometimes his anatomy, I just don't care for the way it looks. It's really square looking at a time. So again, it's just a personal preference. It's nothing against Ryan's storytelling, which is really, really strong. Um, and it seems in the quieter moments when he uses a little, little bit of a finer line uh, and his, his figure work is not so squared off that I actually enjoy his art. Like I, I was reading the first few pages of this and we're seeing um, some flashbacks in time and the art is much softer. And I was like, wait, who, who's this artist? This art is really good. And I flip back and I'm like, Oh, it is Ryan. That's really interesting. So he, he does have a different style that he could choose to use. So he's choosing to go thick line, real bombastic art. So yeah, it's, it's a choice. That's his style. That's how he wants to draw it. So, you know, more power to him, but as, as the issue went on, uh, you know, I didn't care for the aesthetic of the art as much. Um, but in terms of, of what's going on with the story, yeah, I mean, interesting ideas, but aesthetically, like I said, it's just not my cup of tea. I'm finding that I'm not really, uh, in, I don't really enjoy Donny Cates' superhero stuff. Um, I have enjoyed some of the other things that he's done independent-wise. Um, Baby Teeth over at Aftershock is great. I love Crossover, his image title, but the things that I've read that he's done for Marvel just haven't really landed for me. So um, I'm just, I'm just not sure uh, how I feel it 10, 10 issues in, and I'm not sure how I feel about his Hulk book other than, you know, it's not where I would have chosen the Hulk to go, but I'm trying to set that aside and just judge this on its own merits. And there are interesting ideas here, but again, I'm getting a little impatient because it's coming out. So, so slowly. So, kind of two strikes against it for me. Uh, would I drop it? Would I stop picking it up? Mm, I don't know. I, I'm so bad. I'm such a hypocrite because, you know, I have a Hulk run and this is the Hulk book that's coming out right now. So would I buy it, not read it when I buy it, which is basically kind of a tacit uh, approval of what's going on. If I'm buying it, maybe I shouldn't buy it off the rack and should buy it as a back issue or wait till I can pick it up at a con cheap. Um, I don't know that collector mentality, right? Uh, anyway, let's move on. Up next, we have little monsters from writer Jeff Lemire, Dustin Wynn on art. Steve Wands does the letters. We get a little bit of the origin of these ch uh, child vampires, learn a little bit more about uh, Romy and uh, a bit about the elder vampires that have left them behind. Um, but not a lot happens in this issue. Uh, it's a lot of flashing back and forth between past events and current events. It's clear that the dynamic between these children has changed. And, uh, you know, that was probably pretty clear for the last couple of issues. Some of these vampire children have discovered some of the few humans that are left that have fed on them. And now that's kind of awakening some of their more uh, brutal vampiric tendencies and instincts. And that's causing a rift between them. And uh, Romy, the leader, is kind of struggling to figure out what to do next. And um, as I said, we get some reveals of uh, what happened to the, the ancient vampires. So I imagine more of that will be revealed in, uh, in upcoming issues. But it's very intriguing. It still feels like a a desolate world and so, uh, sort of a, a story that's filled with despair in a lot of ways. There's not a lot of hope in the story. I mean, we're following around, you know, nine and 10 year old kids that are immortal and have been on their own for decades, if not centuries uh, in a, basically a dead world. Um, there's not a lot of hope and brightness in that. Right. And now we're seeing even a, a rift amongst themselves. I guess nobody can stay a child forever. Um, but the Dustin Nguyen art is, is gorgeous. It's not necessarily his usual 
watercolor style. It looks a little uh, cleaner. The lines are a little heavier than that. Um, it's mostly black and white. You get some red colors every once in a while. So uh, they are impactful when they do show up. So uh, I'm liking the art. I'm liking the story. Really curious to see what Lemire does. What's so interesting uh, about this is, you know, this is uh, this is not the first time Jeff and Dustin have worked together. They've worked together quite a lot, uh, Ascender and Descender, and I think they've done they've done something else. And now they're on this book. Um, and I think always before I felt like Jeff Lemire, who's a really strong writer, I'm a big fan of him. Um, I always felt like his writing drove the narrative for the most part. Um, I mean, it's still a collaboration and a partnership and certainly in Ascender and Descender, there's times where uh, Dustin's art is doing a lot of the heavy lifting uh, because there's not a lot of dialogue, but I still felt Jeff's kind of direction behind it. Right. With this, I don't feel that as much. I feel like Dustin his his work, his artwork, his visual storytelling is sort of I, not that I forget that Jeff is writing and you know art directing or 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 you know visually directing this story, um, but but it's more in the background than, than I've ever felt before. So I guess that's because this is the strongest work I've seen from Dustin um, that I'm sort of forgetting <laughs> that Jeff's even doing this. Uh, I mean, at the end of the day, this just feels like a Dustin Wynn book to me more than it feels like a Jeff Lemire book. So I'm not saying that's good or bad, um, but uh, I'm just saying it to, to say that the art is really, really strong here um, from Dustin. And maybe it's because it is mostly in black and white that it's letting his skills as a, a visual storyteller really shine. So um, I do I do recommend it, especially, you know, we're just coming out of Halloween. Uh it's a, it's a fun story. It's an easy read too. Um, but again, if you really want to get the nuance, you kind of have to study the, the pictures. There's not a lot of words. There's not a lot of dialogue or scripting sometimes. So you really have to let Dustin's art tell the story. So if you are so inclined, pick it up uh, from Image. Uh, all right. Up next, we have another Image book. This is Old Dog number two. This is from Declan Shelby. He does the writing and the art. Everything but the lettering, which is done by Clayton Cowles. It's basically the story of this CIA agent who uh, was was pretty skillful, but then made some poor choices on some of his missions and basically kind of got put in the doghouse, no, no pun intended, for years, right? Like he was always the guy that was just, um, you know, on a stakeout babysitting some um, some surveillance guys or, or that sort of thing. And, and that's where we found him in the first issue. Um, and then when something goes down at this, the stakeout that they're, um, that they're doing, the two guys that he's babysitting tell him, okay, you stay here. We actually have to go inside. And he's like, well, that's not my orders. And they're like, no, that's, those are our orders. You stay here. And so he stays there for a little bit, but then he hears them in trouble and he runs in and there's like a big explosion in this warehouse and he's caught up in it. And then he wakes up eight years later from a coma. And um, so he's clearly got some sort of powers. Maybe it's enhanced reflexes or strength or just healing. We're not really sure. But uh, at the end of the issue, this other government agency, not the CIA, something more secretive than the CIA, comes and recruits him. Uh, they want him to work for them. His name is Jack Lynch, and his handler is his daughter, his estranged daughter, who he already apparently wasn't getting along with before the explosion and the powers and the eight-year-old coma. So that's all that, that that's everything that happens in the first issue. So in the second issue here, we see him out on a mission for the first time, and we start getting some clues that he's not necessarily just a yes man. That he's not necessarily just going to follow orders and not figure out, you know, what happened to him and how, and um, he's using some old contacts and some old resources to try to, to figure out what happened to him and anything that basically he needs to know that he missed out on in the last eight years. So there's a bit of mystery to it. There's a ton of action and it's some of the best artwork from, from Declan Shelby that I've, I've seen. His, his art can tend to be a little static and not feel like the, um, the action is real fluid. 
at times, but that's not the case with this book. Um, the really great action scenes, uh, especially when Jack is out on his mission, doing the stuff that he needs to do, engaging in gunplay and and that sort of thing. So uh, only two issues in, really easy to get caught up to pick it up and and um, you know know what's going on. Other than you know, obviously there's the mystery part, but what there is to know it's easy to, to figure out and uh, plenty of hints and seeds of things to come. Plus we have the, the drama of Jack and his estranged daughter, you know, working together on, on the same team. Uh, Jack's code name is Rottweiler and uh, his daughter's code name is retriever, which uh, I guess makes sense being that she's his handler. So uh, old dog issue two from image it's out this week. Check it out. Uh, All right, up next, Marvel book. It's Predator. We're up to issue number four, I believe. Scroll over the cover and make sure. Yep, issue number four. This is from writer Ed Brisson. The art is by Kev Walker. We've got colors by Frank Diarmada and letters by Clayton Cowles. This is basically the story of a girl named Theta, teenage girl, early 20s perhaps, whose parents were killed by a Predator. And she's gone out hunting. She's been hunting for years. She's trained herself to use predator weapons. And she's out there hunting them, trying to find the predator that killed her parents that only has three uh, mandibles rather than the usual four that predators have. Um, and so she's out there. She's killed many of them. And now they're the predators are starting to fight back. I don't know if they are specifically targeting her or hunting her, but it seems like they are. And then um, just when you think she's kind of gotten in over her head and maybe the, the recklessness of the youth hasn't necessarily, you know, thought of the consequences of her actions and she's backed into a corner. Um, something happens that's really unexpected and it could change the comp- the story, the, the, the direction of the story completely going forward. So this is part four of six, and I, I don't really have any idea uh, what to expect from the next issue, issue five. Uh, and I love that because, because as Ed Brisson has thrown a real curveball at the end of this issue. So uh, I'm a big fan of Ed and what he's doing on this title. It feels so fresh and so new, but yet, perfectly fits into the the world of the predator um i haven't read any previous predator books and dark horse had the license for a long time um but i'm certainly familiar with the movies and uh, this feels like it would fit right in with uh, the predator films so uh if you're a predator fan definitely recommend checking out uh, the latest predator series from marvel Uh, All right. Up next, we have Punisher. This is issue number seven, The King of Killers, book two, chapter one, Man and the Devil. Daredevil does show up with a guest appearance. It's written by Jason Aaron, Jesus Saez, and Paul Azaceta do the art. Colors are by Dave Stewart. Letters by Corey Petit. The flashback part of the story by Jason Aaron and Paul Azaceta here is so good. Like This series has not necessarily retold or or recreated it's not a new origin for the punisher but jason aaron has added so much depth and so much context and so much richness to the backstory of the punisher uh it's not just that generic story of hey frank castle was a soldier he went to vietnam he saw some bad stuff he came back was with his family they got murdered by the mob and he got you know, angry as angry as anybody has ever gotten ever and decided that he was going to, you know, kill criminals. Um, We we've learned in this series in previous issues that it's, it goes so much deeper than that, right? Frank Castle was uh, the punisher, you know, before his family got killed, basically Um, there's just something in him that, that craves the violence that craves the, um, the action, if you will, not, not so unlike Deathstroke in a lot of ways, although Deathstroke was, um, you know, genetically experimented on, but there's something in uh, Frank Castle and and maybe what's in him is why this, uh, 
this group, this hand, uh, this group of assassins uh, that is, is tied in with Daredevil's uh, uh, history for decades. Um, that's why the hand has come and recruited Frank because he's always been the Punisher at heart. You know, there's always been something in him that craved violence, that craved war, that craved killing. Um, so again, but it's not, it's not done in a, in a cardboard cutout two dimensional kind of way. Aaron leaves enough redeeming qualities. He leaves enough doubt. He leaves enough um, relatable motivation in Frank Castle that we can kind of understand why Castle makes the choices that he makes. It doesn't mean we agree with the choices. It doesn't mean we think he's right to make those choices, but we understand why somebody in his situation faced with, you know, those decisions would, would choose the path that he has chosen. So that's really good writing from Jason Aaron and the Jesus Saez art uh, for the current day, uh, which in this particular issue is a fight between daredevil and punisher is is fantastic it's gorgeous this this may go down as the most epic punisher daredevil fight ever and they've had some classic ones uh over the years but uh again where this issue really shines is in in the flashback in the context uh, especially giving us some kind of some history of the relationship between frank castle and his wife who is alive again in this series. That's part of the reason that uh, Castle agreed to become um, the leader of the hand is because uh, the hand has, has resurrected his beloved wife. So a uh, really, really great issue. Uh, I'm really impressed with what Jason Aaron's doing with the Punisher. Um, really, really intriguing. Uh, all right. Next up, another number one from Marvel secret invasion. Number one, full of surprises. This is written by Ryan North. Francesco Mobili is the artist. Jordi Blair on colors. Uh, Joe Caramani on letters. I have mixed feelings about this. So I've never read the first secret invasion, but I know in broad strokes what happened. Uh, basically, for a long time, there were scrolls masquerading as different characters in the Marvel Universe. Some villains, some heroes, a lot of civilians. Um, and eventually, you know, people find out and they were exposed and they were, uh, either imprisoned or killed or, uh, escaped. And all the people that had been replaced, well, most of the people that had been replaced were, were returned. So something that's always a risk in the Marvel universe, a universe where the scrolls exist, you know, that are shape changers that can take on the, the shape and the form of anyone. Um, just because they the scrolls exist and there always is the opportunity and chance for the scrolls to secretly infiltrate earth and its heroes and its intelligence community um it doesn't mean you need to tell the story again like we got, we had this story we had secret invasion and again i know i didn't read it um so i can't really compare this to that in terms of well the first issue of secret invasion last time was better than the, this issue of secret invasion here um but I have to imagine that it's relatively similar. Um, I just, I kind of don't see the need. I understand why there's a new secret invasion. Number one, there's a Marvel TV show coming, a secret invasion, Marvel TV show. So that's why we're getting this. Does it need to exist? Eh, I don't know. I'll, maybe I'll leave it for somebody else who has read the, the first one to say how derivative this one is. Uh, and there are references in this one to, hey, last time you guys tried this, it didn't work. Um, so why, you know, why are you trying it again? And the skulls, of course, being arrogant, the scrolls being arrogant and wanting their way are, are again, they're trying it again. So, yeah, I wasn't, you know, just based on its merits, like if I forget about um, the fact that this came before and just read this, would I have enjoyed it more? Would I think it was worth it? Eh, it's kind of okay. It's kind of a generic Marvel comic. There's not really anything that memorable about it, to be honest. So, yeah, I wouldn't really recommend that one, uh, unfortunately. So, uh, what I would recommend is She-Hulk. The latest volume is up to issue number seven. Rainbow Rowell is the writer. Luca Maresca is the artist. Rico Renzi on colors. Joe Caramagna on letters. Love what's going on here. Basically three acts in this 
issue, we get uh, the first act of Jen and Jack of Hearts, who seem to have officially kick off a romantic relationship at the end of last issue. So we kind of see the aftermath of that um, and see them sort of feeling each other out in terms of taking the relationship forward. Uh, the second part of the story is Jen being a lawyer, getting a new client. A lot of humor there. Uh, Rainbow Rowell handles that um, really, really well. It's a little tongue in cheek, but it's fun. You know, Jen's taking it seriously, but she's still a little bit wisecracking. And it is a humorous situation in a lot of ways. And then the last part is Jen going to look for the guy that uh, attacked her when she was out at the cafe a few issues ago. Uh, And that goes nowhere near the way Jen might think it will go um, and is very interesting and compelling and uh, leaves us with a bit of a cliffhanger uh, on what comes next. So uh, I'm really enjoying this latest version of the she, uh, she hook. It's a little bit of a different version uh, than it's come in the past. And uh, I love the John Byrne run, and that certainly had plenty of humor. And this does too, but the humor is a little more understated. And there, th- this series so far has been a little more slice of life um, from Jen. And I, again, I don't know how much that's influenced by the, the TV show that, that came out recently. I didn't watch the show, so I, I don't really have any context. But uh, the Luca Maresca art is fantastic, and I love the tone of the book. Um, and I love Jack of hearts and, and Jen together. Uh, I think Jack of hearts is an underrated character and hasn't really gotten his due. So if, uh, if it's him and, um, and she Hulk book, I'm all for it. Uh, all right. Up next, another image book. It's time before time. Number 18. This is from co-writers, Declan Chalvey and Rory McConville. We have a guest artist, Lauren Knight, Handles the line work in this particular issue. Chris O'Halloran on colors, Hassan Otsman Elhow on letters. I've said this so many times about this book. I definitely have to go back and reread. I should go back now uh, instead of waiting until this is over. Um, because as this book goes along, it's so complicated with the different time jumps. Um, although where you're at in time doesn't necessarily matter. You just need to to think of it um, as just kind of different settings, if you will, uh, even if they were all in the same time. Um, I mean, it wouldn't work necessarily for the story, but the, the where they are and where things fit, uh, what happened first and that sort of stuff isn't as important. Plus, the other thing that uh, Declan and Rory set up right from the beginning is you can't change. You can't go back and change events to make them play out differently. Um so, you know, this really is a, a crime noir story. We've talked a lot about that. It's uh, these two illegal organizations who, who do travel through time, the syndicate and uh, the union. It's really, you know, about their turf war for, um, for traveling through time and for spying on each other and making money and just being kind of at, at war with each other. Um, but again, I think the more you read this and the more, things are thrown in and how complicated and nuanced the story is with different events and different characters. It's like, man, sometimes it can be hard to keep track of. So it's got a lot of re-readability. So you go back, you're going to pick up on things and understand it better. And um, you could probably read this three or four times. There's so much going on, but it's, it is really enjoyable. Um, this particular issue, we, we meet a member of, uh, one of the crime families, if you will. Uh, and we get a lot of context about her and uh, her relationship with her girlfriend, which isn't necessarily what it seems on the surface, um, which kind of sets up what could be an end game for this story finally. But that isn't necessarily the case because again, there are so many characters um, you know, Nadia and Tatsuo have been sort of the main characters of the book for a long time, and they don't even show up in this particular issue for the most part. So um, this war between the the syndicate and um, and the union um, it is really where the focus is. Uh, and on the leaders of one of those groups, I won't say which, uh, that's really where the focus of this issue is. And it adds a lot of context and dynamic and motivation. Uh, and again, a lot of rereadability here for sure. So uh, definitely enjoying that book time before time issue number 18. Uh, all right. Up next Avengers forever. 
from Jason Aaron. This is issue number 10, uh, The Pillars, part five, Stark Repair. Uh, Jim Tao does the line work, Guru EFX on colors, Corey Petit on letters. Uh, we've had a lot of different kind of solo issues focusing on different Avengers. We had one focus on Carol Danvers. We had one focus on Steve Rogers. We've uh, had one focus on Starbrand. Just so many different characters uh, with Robbie Reyes, the all writer from our Earth, Earth 616, going out there and recruiting Avengers from across the multiverse to take on the multiversal masters of evil. So now it's finally time that we get to Tony Stark. Um, and we know that there is a, a Tony Stark that's already a member of the multiversal Avengers who is a Tony Stark. He's an Ant-Man rather than an Iron Man. Um, and so we see him and Deathlock and all writer traveling through different dimensions, trying to recruit a Tony Stark to the team and it's, the story sort of leans into some of the tropes, and some of the pitfalls that you would expect a, a Tony Stark in different parts of the multiverse to fall into. Um, it felt a little cliched in a way, like I get what Jason Aaron was trying to do, um, but I don't know that this really worked for me. Maybe I just like my Tony Stark to be a bit more heroic than seeing all these different broken down sort of decrepit drunk whatever tony starks um uh, so i'm just not sure what what aaron was trying to accomplish here other than just get a tony stark on the team so um definitely not my favorite issue of uh of avengers forever i still don't know if it's an ongoing or if it's a uh, a limited i mean we're up to issue 10 so i'm assuming it's an ongoing but it's that has been a wildly inconsistent title when it comes to quality of issues. So um, this was kind of a down issue for me um, this time around. So, uh, all right, up next, Bloodstained Teeth, issue number six from writer Christian Ward. We have a guest artist, Mac Chatter, colors by Heather Moore, letters by Hassan Atzman Elhau. This one is similar to a lot of the books that I've talked about, the last two that I just talked about anyway, Time Before Time and, and Avengers Forever, in that this is kind of a one-of standalone where we meet a new character in the world of uh, Bloodstained Teeth. We learn a little more about the vampires and the Sips. Uh, we learn a lot about this new character and the choices that she makes and why she makes them and what she'll have to do with the larger story um, it remains to be seen. We don't really see any of um, of Sloan in this book. The the main vampire, the the, the uh, asshole <laughs> uh, vampire of the of the book, if you will, who's supposed to be out there killing all the people that he's uh, turned into vampires over the years. He's taken money to turn into vampires over the years. Uh, it doesn't even show up in this book. So it was a good choice, I think, for Christian Ward to to bring in a guest artist on this issue because it gives um, Patrick Reynolds, the regular artist, a chance to probably get to work on the following issue. Um, Heather Moore still does the colors, which which makes it work uh, because Max art does look quite a bit different than uh, than Patrick Reynolds. But you have that same sort of dynamic coloring that Heather Moore has brought to the series so far. And so it's kind of um, it kind of ties it together, right? And in the in the trade, I don't think it'll be as jarring because you have that continuity of of color work. So, um, not sure where blood teeth blood stained teeth is going yet, but it is a, a really enjoyable read. Uh, all right, up next we have Captain Marvel. This is issue number forty three from writer. Kelly Thompson, Sergio Davila does the pencil, Sean Parson on inks, Erf Prianto on colors, Clayton Cal does the letters. Let me talk about the art first. Sergio Davila, superstar in the making. I don't know if it's his choice to have an inker or not, but, and I I've, can't say I ever remember seeing his art without an inker. I hope that they keep this team together, Davila and Parsons, because the art is gorgeous. So many times, the, I don't know if it's editorial or higher-ups decide, hey, we're not going to do an anchor. We're just going to go from the digital pencils to the color. Uh, and the art suffers. It's not as sharp. It's not as clean. Sometimes it's not as textured. Um, so I love the art. Arif Prianto brings his A-game with the colors. 
Um, absolutely love this issue. It, it was just last issue that we saw binary, this energy being that Carol somehow manifested that had its own personality uh, kind of fly off in space to kind of find their own path, if you will. Um, and we see on the cover, it is on the cover. Maybe it's on the first page that we see binary um, being tortured. Uh, and we know from the cover revenge of the brood. So Carol's going to be going up against the brood. Um, so between binary, between Carol going up against the brood and some other guest stars who I won't spoil um, teaming up to go against the brood, but I, I will say they are uh, a hero group that has fought the brood many times. Um, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, a lot of action feels like a big chunk of story feels much larger than a, a 20 page book. So a lot of credit to Kelly Thompson for giving a lot, a lot of value for your comic dollar. Uh, and you add in that art and you have just a, a really fun book. But what always strikes me about Kelly's work on Captain Marvel is just how much she just understands the character. She always brings lots of heart and humor. And there's, there's one line specifically in here and I, I won't give it away um but there's a line in here and it's basically uh well two it's two sentences i guess and uh it's carol her you know being very self-aware of who she is and it just sums up who the character is so well and i read that line and it just once again just rammed at home that kelly thompson understands this character better than any writer that I've ever read that's written uh, Captain Marvel. So, you know, that's no slight to Kelly Sudeconic or Margaret Stoll or anyone else who's worked on Carol, but Kelly Thompson just really embodies the characterization of Carol Danvers so well. Uh, so you, you add that in with all the action and all the great story beats and story moments and gorgeous art in this book. Um, and th this is one of those issues that reminds me that this is probably the best title Marvel's putting out. They're putting out three great titles. They're putting out Captain Marvel, Spider-Woman, and Black Widow. Well, Spider-Woman and Black Widow got canceled. Spider-Woman being written by Carla Pacheco and Black Widow being written by the same writer as uh, Captain Marvel, Kelly Thompson. So sad to see those two books go. Those, those in my mind were like the three best books at Marvel for the longest time. Um, so now this one kind of stands, uh, stands alone with the other two being gone. Iron Man's been really good too. Uh, look, Christopher Cantwell's coming off that book pretty soon. Um, but man, this book is as good as ever. The art is fantastic. Color work, great. Highest possible uh, recommendation. So, uh, all right. Last book I'm going to talk about in detail is Hell to Pay number one. This is from writer Charles Soule. Will Sliney is the artist. Rochelle Rosenberg, the colors. Uh, Chris Crank does the letters. This is my book of the week. This is a fantastic story idea. Um, Charles Soule has been all over uh, social media and whatnot, talking about this for a long time. Uh, I think they came up with the idea in 2020. Will Sliney has been doing live streams on his Twitch, drawing it. Um, so it's, it's not a big secret. Um, but basically, it's the story of these 666 demonic coins, uh, currency from hell that have made their way to Earth that are sort of cursed and have caused problems throughout different moments in human history. And this uh, secret organization that is charged with retrieving them and the agents that they have recruited in order to fulfill that task. And that's all I'm going to say, because... There, I don't want to spoil anything else about the broad strokes of the story. What I will say is the agents that are working together to retrieve these coins, they have an interesting character dynamic. They have an interesting relationship. Um, there are moments uh, in the interaction between them where I was like, damn, uh, didn't see that coming. That's brutal. That's interesting. That's planting seeds going forward. Um, there's tons of action. Uh, you know, number one issues are so, so hard to do to explain what you need to explain without giving too much away, but to hook the reader and to, you know, not leave people confused. And I got to say, Charles Soul has nailed it here. This uh, Will Sliney line work is fantastic. The color work from Michelle Rosenberg uh, is gorgeous. Like this book is just so, so, so good. 
Uh, just one of those books that as soon as I finished reading it, I immediately wanted more. Like I immediately wanted issue number two. And this is like a 30 page book. So it's a little more than just your, you know, standard 20 page comic. Um, but so interesting, so interesting. So, uh, such a great idea. And uh, I'm, I'm just a huge fan. I could see this thing blowing up. I could see it being uh, brought to other uh, media, adapted as a movie or a TV show, for example. So this is the first appearance of these characters. So speculator alert, make sure you pick up a copy. Um, this is just fantastic. Supernatural action. Um, I wouldn't say there's any horror element to it. I mean, yeah, it's hell, demons, what have you, but it's really more of an kind of an action adventure type story uh, with just gorgeous art. The visual storytelling from Will Sliney is, uh, is fantastic. And again, that color work from Rochelle Rosenberg. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of both those creators. I mean, they, they are at the top of their game and you add in Charles soul, who's a fantastic writer. And this thing just fires on all cylinders. Uh, it was so good. I enjoyed it the whole time. Again, some twists and turns and, uh, it's just had it all, uh, pretty much a perfect first issue in my mind. So definitely pick up hell to pay number one when you're, uh, when you're at your comic shop this week. Uh, all right. Let me give a rundown on some other books that are coming out this week. I really wanted to, uh, review the aftershock books that are coming out this week. I feel like we haven't talked about any aftershock books in a long time. There haven't really been any that have come out. Um, and, but I didn't get the previews. I'm not sure what's going on. I haven't heard from their uh, their PR guy in quite a while. I need to. I keep meaning to send him an email, make sure he's okay, not sick or anything. Uh, but anyway, uh, Aftershock has Astronaut Down number four, loving that series, and also Dogs of London number five, which I think finishes up that series. At the end of it. I'm really curious to see how that finishes up. So those are out today. I haven't had a chance to read them. So I'm just as anxious as you guys to, uh, to pick them up on my comic shop and, and check them out. Also, Bad Idea Returns. Um, they're making comics again. We have escape from Wyoming, number one of three and Orc Island, number one of four out today, uh, from boom studios as our new number one from Jeff Lemire called behold behemoth number one, uh, over at dark horse. There's also another new number one called ones number one of four. I have no idea what it's about, but it is out there. If you are, uh, so inclined, uh, also, we have Night of the Ghoul, number two of three, which is one of Scott Snyder's um, Comixology originals, which uh, Comixology has a deal with Dark Horse to, to when they bring the, the digital comics to print, Comixology is the one that, uh, or, or Dark Horse rather, is the one that prints the Comixology digital comics. Uh, over at DC, again, you can hear these uh, about these books on our DC Spotlight yesterday. Batman number 129, Batman and the Joker, The Deadly Duel, number one of seven. That's the Mark Silvestri book where Batman and Joker team up. We've got uh, Dark Knights of Steel, number eight of 12 that I mentioned. Uh, Gotham City, year one, number two of six. I mentioned that one before as well. Joker, the Man Who Stopped Laughing, number two from Matthew Rosenberg. Monkey Prince, number eight of 12. Uh, new Champion of Shazam, number three of four was a really great issue of that. Poison Ivy, number six from G. Willow Wilson, teases a new direction for Ivy. Uh, Sword of Azrael, number four of six from Dan Waters, which was my favorite DC of book of the week and really blew me away. So interesting, adding new elements to the origin of St. Uh, the origin of the order of St. Dumas and thus changing a little bit of the origin of Azrael himself. Uh, so check that out. If you're so inclined uh, over at IDW earth divers, number two, I keep <laughs> meaning to talk about earth divers, number one on here. And I always forget. So maybe when the whole series is over, I'll do a spotlight on it. From Image, uh, A Righteous Search for Vengeance, Volume 2 trade paperback is out. That was a great series. Uh, we also have King Spawn, number 16. Uh, and Walking Dead Deluxe is already up to issue number 50. Uh, over at Marvel, in addition to the books I talked about, Black Panther, number 11 is out. Deadpool has a new number one kicking off with about a 1,000 covers. Uh, there is uh, Savage Avengers, number 7. And then in the Star Wars corner of the Marvel Universe, Star Wars number 29, Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 28, Star Wars The Mandalorian number five, and a couple of, uh, I guess just one X book this week, uh, X-Men Red number eight is out as well. I thought there was another X book, but uh, I guess not. I guess that's it. Uh, all right, let's see what else we got here from... 
vault end after end number three and also heart eyes number three are out this week and i think that's it i'm hoping to have jay back on he sometimes he checks out some of the more obscure books that i miss and talks about them and then i end up reading them and they're they're really fantastic so uh but he's been working really early in the morning and it's already a two-hour difference so um you know, he's probably getting up to go to work in a couple hours. So anyway, uh, that's going to do it for this episode, everybody. Uh, fantastic week of comics. Hell to pay especially was really, really good. Be sure you pick that one up. Don't forget to pick up your bad idea books. And uh, that's going to do it for this one. So we appreciate the support as always. And we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.